0: Thank you for listening to the Fire Life Church podcast. For more information on Fire Life Church in Irving, Texas, please visit wearefirelife.org. We pray the Lord blesses you greatly through this message. Well, welcome, everyone. It's great to see all of you. Some of you haven't seen it in a long time. It's really good to see you. I saw you when he came in. My heart jumped. I was like, yes! All right, really good to see you. I, look, here's the, here's the thing. So if you've never been here before, if you've been here before, and this isn't your home church, or you're a guest here, we all have the same dad. It doesn't matter what country you come from. We have the same dad. We, I'm going to say this forever. You're going to get sick of hearing me say it. But he's the Indian father. Come on, all the Indians, amen. He's the Indian father. Like when you look at God, he's the Indian God. He speaks to you in your language, He's the African God, Nigerian God. Come on, yeah. <laughs> he's the Canadian God, yes. He's the Texan God, yeah. <laughs> he's the Mexican God, yes. Come on. Yeah, am I missing? Oh, Peruvian God, yes. Woo! Uh, where are you guys from? Hawaiian. South Sudan. He's the South Sudan God. Come on. He's the Hawaiian God. So when we see him, he's not the white God. He's the nations and he's all our dads. So we get to come together and we get to love on God. And so our prayer is that when you come here, you feel like you're in your dad's house. Come on. So welcome. We welcome you. We ask that God would do something special for all of you that are guests. This is an exciting day for us. 60 years, man, I can't even, um, I can't imagine starting something and it lasting 60 years. Like, you know, I'm working, I want my marriage to be one of those things, like a 60 year marriage. I'll be really old. I'm sorry, babe. Uh, I definitely won't have any hair, uh, <laughs> but man, I, starting something and it lasting 60 years is something to be honored. Um, and so 60 years ago, I'm not going to go through a whole lot of stuff. I'm I, I'm more, I was telling them, I love days like this, but I'm more interested in, in Gathering with Jesus, like, like I want to celebrate, but like He's the reason that it's still here. So if we make Him the center, then we'll still be here in sixty more years, right? And so, but sixty years ago, some people decided, hey, there needs to be a church over here. It needs to be Pentecostal. We need to see miracles, signs, and wonders. And they started meeting in a little two-story house over on Shady Grove. Come on, some of you remember that location. And God met them there humble beginnings, right? They, 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 they grew from there and it, it went on. Pastor E.L. Terry was a founding pastor of that church. Um, he was a wild man. Like, I mean, you, I found, this internet is awesome, okay? It's really horrible, but it's also awesome. I found a sermon from E.L. Terry on YouTube, and he sounds like you would think he would sound from the '60s. He's like going after. He sounds like my papa, I was telling my dad. He sounds like Papa. He's like, Yell, like you feel like you need to repent. doesn't matter what he's saying. Just like, "Yeah, I got to go I' got to make things right. This guy knows something. I don't know. I need to go." And he sounded like that. And he had this authority, and he believed in miracles, signs and wonders. I wanted to say one of the really cool things about E.L. Terry was. He, was, he had a heart for the nations. And when I found his, his bio, he passed away years ago, um, but he went to over 103 nations, islands, and states. He had a heart for the nations. And this is, this is so cool because of what God's doing here, what we see is on the way. One of the biggest imp- impacts he had in his life was in India wow, wow. where he spoke. It. <laughs> it's just, it's like God knows, like, come on. I believe that someday this church is going, you will walk in and think it is an Indian church. I really believe that. I feel like there are going to be so many Indians saved, healed, and delivered. And it's cool to think that our founding pastor had a heart for India. And here we are not even knowing. And the Lord drops this thing into our heart. And we're like, I don't know, Lord, why are you doing this? What, what is this? And the Lord was like, I'm weaving history together. I was, I was in the past and I'm in your future and I'm lining things up for you. So Uh, I'm excited, and then after him, we had a wonderful pastor named Brother Jerry Bray, and he was just a sweet man. I even remember him as a kid, which if you remember someone as a kid, they must have made a good mark or a bad mark on you. He made a great mark. He felt like Santa Claus. That's kind of how I felt about him. Like, he just seemed like the guy's really nice, like, you know, Grandpa, like a guy you really love, and he pastored here, and he did an amazing work, and the church really grew under his ministry. He also had a heart for the nations. And then after he left and went to Atlanta, Georgia to pastor, the next pastor who came was Brother Brockler, Brother David Brockler. And he served in the military, which I didn't know that. He was in the Navy in Korea. And he was a man with a heart for the missions. His field was Central and South America, which was his heart. And so he pastored here. And many of the ministries that were started came under Brother Brockler. Um, Royal Rangers, Missionettes, anyone remember those things? Yeah, if you don't know, it's kind of like Boy Scouts. yeah. Yeah, but with like God mixed into it, right? Um, and not not the creepy stuff nowadays. Like it was like real stuff. Like I remember tying knots and learning about Jesus, right? So anyway, Roll Rangers, Missionettes, Solid Rock Youth Ministry was started back then. Men's and Women's Ministry, uh, Kids Crusades, they, they had bus ministries going. I have a picture of the old orange bus they used to drive around. It was hideous looking. I found a picture of it, like, that is the ugly, they're like, find me the ugliest color that you could find, and I want to put it on a bus, because I want everyone to see us, and that's what they did, and I remember Doug Roland driving the bus, anyone remember Doug and Diane Rowland? and Doug always told us there was a secret turbo button on the bus, and that, that it, would, it would go slow, but then he's like, but if I hit this secret turbo button, it will go really fast. And there was no turbo button, but he made us all believe, because he was like six foot five. I don't know how big. He was a huge man. He was like Grizzly Adams. He looked like Grizzly Adams. All the older people that know. He looked just like that guy. Anyway, so great things happened in that. And then after Brother Brockler left, my dad, which my mom and dad are, which are here, which awesome. I'm going to introduce them. But yeah, we welcome you. Yeah. So in 1989, they, man. A long time ago, 1989, they accepted the pastorate of the church, and I'll tell the story because it's hilarious, it's funny. I was so mad. Like I grew up in, in North Richland Hills. I was all lined up, I knew all the coaches. I was about to go into high school. Like I felt like I had my friend group, and my dad's like, "We're moving to Irving. I'm like, "No, we're not. I'm going to pray, they don't vote you in." <laughs> I hope you don't get the vote. That's a true story. And, and so we're in the little office, Brother Brockler's office, and they're counting the votes. And I'm sitting there like, I'm, I'm praying against it. You know, I'm in witchcraft over here, right? Praying soulish things. And, and uh, sure enough, I think it was a unanimous, like a unanimous vote, 100%. I was like, oh, great. And so I remember I stormed out the building and went out in the front, and Richard Norris came and found me. Even know Richard Norris, and he was an older teenager. So I was thirteen, uh, maybe fourteen at the time, and Richard Norris was five years older than me. Or so he was, you know, he looked like an athlete. He was a cool guy, man. He came out, he put his arm around me. He goes, "Hey, I know it doesn't feel good today, but you're going to be really happy this happened." And that's true. I was really happy it happened. So my mom and dad they took over. They pastored for twenty eight years. This was their house. Like twenty eight. Come on, yeah. I actually have a slide, Josiah. If you'll go to the slide right before the sermon, like there's just kind of a brief thing that I wrote up about these guys. For 28 years, he's, these guys, <laughs> they, he, under his supervision, the, the Assembly of God Tabernacle became Family Worship Center and then became More to Life Church and moved to this location. Sorry if I'm standing in uh, this room. gives us a lot of challenges with our graphic stuff, but th- thank you for patience. But hundreds, of, hundreds and probably thousands of people were saved, healed, and delivered. This is a revival church, and I want them to speak a little bit more to this, and then I'm going to tie it up at the end. But, like, I remember growing up, I was the weird kid at church at school because I went to the Holy Roller Church. Yeah. And they literally knew that we were the Holy Rollers. We were the tongue talking. People got saved, healed, delivered. Like, that happened. That was what I grew up in. I grew up in church even when I was like bored as a little kid. I remember sitting on the pew though and still seeing the move of God, the hand of God. And um, that was because they stirred the hunger for it. And that's the one thing I will always say. My dad has always prayed and and asked God and believed God for revival. That's what he's always asked for. And that's what this church's DNA is from E.L. Terry all the way to my dad. Like that's what the house was. It was known for being Pentecostal. And One of the things I always try to remind him of is that during his time, dozens of people yielded to the call of ministry. Dozens. I I was trying to start making a list and I'm forgetting people that I, I was a kid and don't remember people's names. I mean, there are dozens of people and many of them, if not most of them, are in full time or in some sort of ministry today, right now. That happened because he had a heart for that. Some of you may not know, back in the day, they used to sell books and my dad had an album. They had, had tapes, you know. I, f- I found one of those and I almost brought it out. But um, uh, I've Got Joy is the one that I have. Uh, so, but all the sales that came from that, he put into a scholarship to help people that were going into ministry. I remember him doing those things. He sewed into people. Uh, all of us young people, if, you if you served in this house as a teenager, would you raise your hand? You gave us a chance to be crazy on a Sunday morning even. Come on. He would let us lead worship. He would let us preach, do skits. He he would let us stage dive. I know it probably made him crawl, like all the stuff that we did. But he was like, you know what? It's your kingdom too. And I want you to know that it's yours. It's not just for us. It's for us and our children's children. And so, like, thank you for that. Like, he, he let us preach. He let us learn how to share the gospel. He let us start things that he was like, "There's no way that's going to work." But you need the that you need to put the effort into it. It's good for you to try. Come on, and and he did that for us. And so we thank you for that. So so many people were called to ministry. Um, yeah, it's just a, it was a great place to grow up. Dad, it was a great place to grow up in church. Um, I remember in 2008 when Mandy and I went to to Arlington, I didn't want to go. I told you that on the phone. I don't want to go, dad. This is my home. And I still feel that. It's amazing that I'm back here because this is my home. This place is worth fighting for. Amen. Like the, the call that God has on this house is worth, worth it. And so I want my dad to just share on his, whatever's on his heart. I want us, if you would, would you stand with me and just honor my dad? He's a man of God. I love him. So thank you so much for coming.
1: Thank you. Karen and I are honored to be here today. We, um, we're excited to see all the, renovations and things, y'all have made the place <clears throat> your own, and it looks fantastic. Yes, yes. And uh, the impression of worship, uh, I almost popped all of my buttons off because all of my boys were on the stage, <laughs> and Kyle has an anointing to lead worship. and <sighs> I'm, I'm proud of you. saw so my grandsons all playing up here wow and then jared the job that he's doing here is phenomenal i could spend the rest of the day talking about memories <clears throat> it's good to see a lot of you that i haven't seen now in about six or seven years <clears throat> we've uh, most of you know we're in walks now at university church and god is blessing the ministry in a phenomenal way um uh, we're just having, a, Karen and I are having the ball of our lives. We really are. We're having more fun than we've had in a lot of years. Our years here at this church um, meant so much to us. Um, it, um, we'll never forget. We'll never forget you. And I have so many of you come in today and, and shake our hands, hug us. You're welcome to hug us. It's okay. We, uh, we're delighted to be here. I don't want to take a lot of time this morning but I do want to challenge you a little bit. Uh, I want to talk to you today about open doors and adversaries. Uh, when they, I remember when they started this church. My dad came to pastor here in 1963. Uh, I was just about maybe 12, 11 or 12 years old. And uh, I remember them starting that church down there on 1010 East Shady Grove. Never thought I'd be a part of it. <clears throat> And uh, years later, when we went, we, uh, we came and we sort of served as voluntary staff for about two years, and then we went to Fort Worth and pastored for nine years, Brother Brockler tried for about three years to get me to come back, and I told him no. I said, I've already been to Irving. I don't want to go back. And uh, our church in Fort Worth was doing well, but God began to stir something in my heart, and... Uh, uh, he called me again, and he said, I've resigned, and I've recommended you to the board, and uh, I want you to come. I said, I don't have any desire to come. And so he kept on and kept on and kept on, and finally I said, all right, I'll meet with your board. And uh, I left, and I told Karen, I said, well, I'm going to go tell them I'm honored and uh, I flattered that they would even consider me, but I ain't interested and I sat down in a what was a messy office. Those of you that were around then, you know, Brother Brockler had a messy office. And I thought, this is not appealing at all. And I hadn't sat there five minutes, and I heard the Lord say, this is where you're going. And so I came home and told Karen she wasn't happy. Jared wasn't happy. No, nobody was happy, but I was happy. <laughs> and God began to bless us. And we have... We had years of revival in the church, years, probably close to 15 years of constant revival where people were being saved, delivered. Uh, Debbie came out of Teen Challenge, and, and God gave her the gift of evangelism. Uh, Debbie brought more people to church than you could shake a stick at. Them. And I know I'm taking a little bit of time, but is that okay? And uh, I got the microphone anyways. <laughs> So, uh, and then when it was time to go, I knew it was time to go, and uh, we were doing various things, and Jared and Mandy called and said, we feel like we're supposed to come back, and I felt an affirmation in my spirit. I knew the church would be different. Uh, they had to put their own signature on it and, and their own vision and everything, and Jared said, I want you to stay. I want you, in his words, I want you to be the apostle of the house. And so I came to him. I said, I'm not staying. And he wasn't very happy. And I said, "Uh, look, if I stay every time you want to make a change, they're going to look over and see if I'm okay with it. And I need to let you be the pastor of the church. And we stepped out and we, we went back and forth to Denver for a year, uh, every other week and pastored a little church up there that was dying and God restored it and blessed it. And, and after about a year, uh, the Lord said, it's time to move on. We got him a pastor and came back. And we're working um, around the district helping churches that were struggling. And then Waxahachie called, and uh, here we are. We've been there now six years. And God has blessed tremendously. It's, uh, the church is going through a revival. So, but we, uh, we pray for you. We pray constantly that God will bless this house. Um, uh, when, <laughs> this is not in my notes, so, you told me to do what I wanted to do, so, when, when we, uh, were down on Britain Road, and this is where most of you were with us at Britain, uh, when we were there, we knew it was time to make a change, and we looked all over the city, and we couldn't, and this place came open, when I first looked at it, they wanted three million dollars for this property, um, uh, I looked at it and said, no, it's an office complex. It won't work. And a year later, my real estate agent called me, and he said, look, you know that building you looked at? I think you can get it for about a million one." 000, 000. Well, that's a big discount. So we came and looked at it again. I felt a tug in my spirit that this will work. You know what we bought this building for? We bought it for $850,000 cash. Cash. Uh, the property is probably worth about $4 million now with the economy the way it is. So you're setting in a prime location. And I felt like the Lord told me that this was going to be a place that could affect and impact not just a part of a city, but the, the business world. Las Colinas itself is about a, a $5 billion tax base by itself. You've got some of the largest corporations, I'm sorry, a $15 billion. Some of the largest corporations in the world are here, ExxonMobil, others. And I felt like that this could be a lighthouse and a place to not only impact apartments and homes, but businesses that, and, and, and Jared, I, I, I want the Lord to stir that in you, that, that uh, uh, we got a call one day from Microsoft that one of the vice presidents there said, we want to start having meetings. Well, it didn't work out for us. We couldn't do it, whatever happened. But he said, if we can start having a breakfast, for instance, I can bring 200 people. Well, I think you can get this place set up to do that, where you can begin to minister to those. And so uh, uh, the opportunities here are tremendous, what God can do. We cannot limit ourselves by a location or by a building or what we don't have. If the other side of this building can be developed, you can run probably 800 to 1,000 people here at a time. It can happen. We've already talked to the parking, to the facilities around us. They'll let us park on it. We just have to find a way to get this thing up and going to that, and I think you're going to get there. You know, in, in, the things, in the things that God is about to do and God is doing in our world today, it's, it's unimaginable to us what God can accomplish in a short amount of time. When I came to, to, uh, to uh, Waxahachie and I sat down on the pew and God spoke, this is where you'll finish your race. And I said, God, and he showed me a vision of what the place looked like. And I said, God, I don't know if we can get this done. I'm getting old. <laughs> and he said, You'll have enough time. Don't worry about it. And God began to talk to me about an acceleration of time, an acceleration of events. And I want to speak to you in a prophetic sense this morning. Get ready for an acceleration of what can happen as God begins to move. Our economy is not good. Our economy is built on a house of cards. And I don't claim to be a prophet or a son of a prophet, but it will accla- it will collapse. And it's not going to collapse very long from now. It's going to happen. And they're already talking about taking away the dollar and beginning to create Uh, other things. And we we saw that in the book. The book tells us what's going to happen. And so uh, people are looking today for something that's solid, something that they can anchor to. And and I believe that they're going to say, I remember a church over there sitting on the side of the road that that preached the gospel, that had church, that had a tremendous anointing in the house. I'm going to go see if God can help me through my circumstance and situation. And I'm telling you as a church, get ready for that. My text today is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 9. And allow me to paraphrase it. Paul says, I'm going to stay here at Ephesus for a little while because God has placed before me a great, a great, I want you to hear this, a great and effective door has opened to me. And there are many adversaries. And I want to talk to you for just a few moments about this. The great open door and the many adversaries. Difficulties come to every one of us. But God is saying there are great open doors for us. Effective doors but there are many adversaries. I can tell you for every open door that God has made, there has been an enemy that has come to try to fight me from going through that door or accomplishing what God has shown us in that door. Every time God has given me a vision or any pastor a vision, there's always an adversary that rises up and says it can't be done. God is ready for us to walk through those open doors. And let me tell you, if you don't get anything else this morning from what I say... Everything is rigged in our favor. Everything is rigged in our favor. When God shows you an open door, he knows what our inadequacies are. He knows what we cannot accomplish in ourselves. But God shows it to you because he knows that what he can accomplish through a willing vessel is greater than anything the enemy can do against us. And so the enemy, the enemy also believes that when God shows you an open door, it can happen. Because he puts adversaries in our way to try to prevent that from happening. Jesus Christ comes to John the Baptist and he asked him to baptize him. And John said, I'm not worthy. He said, I don't care, baptize me. Anyway... And so he baptizes him and as he comes up out of the water, a Holy Spirit in the form of a dove comes and sets upon him and he hears a voice from heaven. The whole place hears a voice. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Read the next verse. And immediately Jesus was driven into the wilderness to be tested and tried. An open door shows up from front of him, but an adversary comes for 40 days and tests him and tempts him and does everything he can to him from going through that open door, but Jesus made it through the open door. Aren't you glad for that? I'm telling you today, it's stacked in your favor. God is for you. And if God is for you, who can be against you? God is able to do exceedingly and abundantly. And above all we can ask or think uh, 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 that who he can do. We are assigned to win. We have been ordered to win. Are you listening to me? Remember this, God and Satan are not co-equal. Jesus won this battle. Jesus defeated him soundly. And as a matter of fact, he said, I've got the keys to death, hell, and the grave. Jesus came out of the tomb victorious. That hasn't stopped the devil from fighting. He fights everything, but he knows he's losing. He's losing. Come on, somebody's got to get that this morning. The devil is losing in this thing. God, I read the back of the book. God's going to win. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He said, I'm coming after a glorious church that's without spot or without wrinkle. I'm part of that glorious church. How about you? Praise the Lord. Somebody shout hallelujah. Hallelujah. (laughs) So we're called to occupy and we're called to possess what he's already taken for us. Um, This church was designed, I believe, in 1963 to impact a region, not just a neighborhood, but a region. And there's no reason it can't be done. We've got to expand the way we think. About how great God is and what God can accomplish. We've got to expand how we think about ourselves and who we are. If God called us, He believes in us. If God called us, He has chosen us. If God called us, He has equipped us. I cannot accomplish anything in myself, but He that is in me is greater than anything that can oppose me. God is able. Look at somebody and say, My God is able. You see, this kingdom doesn't come to a casual person. It comes to the seeker. Amen? So hell's trying to keep us out. And hell's trying to stop us from occupying what God tells us to occupy. This is what Paul is saying. I'm going to stay here a while because there's a great and effective door. Are there adversaries? Oh, every time I turn around. Well, read about Paul's life. Man, he's beaten five times with M He's beaten three times with uh, 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 with uh, uh, what do you call it? Whips. He's uh, he's locked in every jail. He has to be escorted out of towns. He's he's uh, he's. Been in the sea. He's been shipwrecked. Twenty-four hours. He said, "I spent in the sea." But nevertheless, Karen and I were in Rome a couple of years ago, preaching a, 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 a conference over there, and so we got to go into Rome, and we got to go to the little place where Paul wrote much of his epistles in the Tullianian prison and the Mamertine prison and the Tullianian dungeon. It's a it's a dungeon underneath a dungeon and they've got it hewed out where you can literally walk down in there and see where the Apostle Paul wrote these things. He's in that place, and yet he's writing stories. He's writing letters. God is moving, and God is doing great things. He said there's a great and effective door, and I have adversaries. Well, we're going to have adversaries. There's going to be people who say it can't be done. I'm telling you, in the now 43 years of pastoring, I can't tell you how many times I've been told it can't be done. I can't tell you how many times there's been opposition. Sometimes the opposition comes from people you love dearly. Sometimes it comes from your friends. Sometimes it comes from your coworkers. There's always opposition. But we've got to stay focused on God. We've got to stay focused on what God is trying to accomplish and what God wants to do in our lives. And we cannot be sidetracked. And you've, you've been around me anytime you heard me say it. Our enemy is never a person. There's always a spirit that's trying to de- manipulate and work through them. And so we fight that spirit. And we war against principalities and powers of darkness. But greater is he that's in us than he that is in the world. Somebody say. Amen. Amen. You see, the the moment your next assignment is revealed, your next opponent is revealed. Get ready for it. (laughs) Uh, And the Bible is filled with them. You know, God God gives Nehemiah a vision. Go back and rebuild my city. Go back and build them. Well, Sambalat and Tobiah and everybody around tried to stop him, prevent him. They laughed at him, said, if a fox runs into it, it'll knock it down. It'll never work. But he says, I'm not going to come down on the wall and mess with you. I'm doing a good work. And he says, so built we the wall in 52 days because the people had a mind to work. Don't let the mind to work escape you. Hold on to it. Because the kingdom of God comes through work. Work. <laughs> work, your fi- work your fingers to the bone. What do you get? Bony fingers. It's work. It's work. You see, something is trying to keep you from possessing. Something is trying to prevent you from gaining what you're supposed to gain. Satan will tempt you as to who you are. That's what our greatest struggle is today. In America we have people that don't even know what sex they are. <laughs> Come on ask the doctor that delivered you. They can tell. We have confusion today, mass confusion. Our kids today are literally being uh, they're being brainwashed. And we as a church have to stand up and say this isn't right. God made man, God made woman. There's not 119 or whatever it is, different things that you can be. (laughs) It's confusion. It's not of God. So there's always something to struggle. And Satan wants you to fight about who you are. Listen, tell the devil every day, I know who I am. I'm a child of the Most High God. I'm an heir of Jesus Christ and a John heir. I am somebody, and I know who I am. I don't walk around in pride and arrogance, but I know that I know that I know my name has been written in the Lamb's Book of Life. I've been called by God and chosen by God, and we're going to do the things God has told us we can accomplish. Somebody say amen. Something is trying to keep you from possessing. Don't let it happen. When you open the door, your assignment is revealed and your enemy always shows up. Now you've got to follow instructions. What does God want me to do? What does God want me to do? Moses leads Israel out of Egypt's bondage. There have been ten plagues. Pharaoh finally says, you can go. They go. And as they're leaving Pharaoh's army decides you can't go, so they start chasing them, and they come to the Red River, and Moses starts to whine. Don't let a spirit of whine get on you. Look at somebody say he's talking about you. (laughs) They get to the Red Sea, sort of like the Red River. (laughs) Yeah, they get to the Red Sea. And Moses said, oh God, what are we going to do? The army's behind us. The sea's in front of us. And listen, let me paraphrase what God said. Maybe he didn't quite say it like this, but this is what he meant. Shut up talking to me. Shut up talking to those people. And tell the sea to do what it needs to do. Get out that stick you got in your hand and hold it up. And he held it up and the sea parted and they began to walk off on. Listen, there is an adversary with every open door they get in the sea they start crossing and Pharaoh's is gaining quickly upon them. And the Bible said God sent angels down who loosened the lug nuts on the wheels and the wheels began to drag heavy. I'm telling you, miracle after miracle after miracle, when you are on God's side and God is working for you, get ready for great miracles. We're going to see signs and wonders in the church like we've never seen before. We're going to see healings and deliverances and divine things happen like we've never seen before. We're going to see resurrection. Resurrections like we've never seen before. Some of you were around when we had a, a guy raised from the dead in church one day. I, who was here? Robbie, you were around then. You probably don't remember. At your age, you probably don't remember. <laughs> Robbie and I have been around a long time. Yeah. I don't know if some of you remember. We, it was between Sunday school hour and the, and the church hour. A worship hour. And I come out and there's a man slumped over. There's about 15 or 20 people gathered around him. We had two registered nurses. They were at his side. And when I walked up, they both shook their head. He's gone. He's gone. And something got in my spirit. I didn't like that. We have enough dead people in church. <laughs> and I told the people around, I said, let's pray. And I don't know, he'd been like this for several minutes. And we started to pray, and we rebuked death. And in a minute, he shook like this, and he sat up and said, I'm all right. (laughs) I said, take him to the hospital anyway. They took him for four days. They ran tests on him and couldn't find a thing wrong. On Monday morning, I went to see him. And he said, Pastor, he said, I was dead, and I heard your voice calling me back to life. Can I tell you, you're going to see those signs and wonders. You're going to see those things again. We are getting ready for a great, mighty move of God. Amen? Amen? So it's time to engage. God's waiting for us. He's already provided for our success. And we can't worry how it's going to get done. Let's just be obedient. I don't have a burden for this house as a pastor any longer. But I pray for this house to become everything that God called it to be. I believe in the leadership that's here. Jared and Mandy are doing a phenomenal job. And I believe in the leadership that's here. And I believe they're hungry for a movement. You can't hear worship in this church and not hear and feel the hunger that's in the house. And I'm telling you, get ready for great and mighty things. We have before us an open door, a great and effective open door. Where Paul says we don't beat the air like somebody's shadowboxing. When when somebody's shadowboxing, everybody looks good, <laughs> but when your opponent starts hitting, that's when a different story. We don't beat the air. We fight effectively, and there is before you today a great and effective door. Don't let the adversaries stop you. Could I pray over the house before Jared comes? Father, we believe with all of our heart that you're involved in this church or it would have died years ago. Your spirit is here. Your presence is magnificent. You have the right people in the right place at the right time. There's an open door that no man can shut. We know their are adversaries. We know there are things that fight against us. But we know without a shadow of a doubt, when you open a door, no man can shut it. So we pray for your will to be accomplished in this house. We pray for men and women to rise in the strength and power of Holy Spirit and accomplish the, the things that people say cannot be done. You said eye has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has it entered the heart of man what God has in store for us. We believe that's talking about now, and you're moving now. And we know, again, that things are stacked in our favor. And so we thank you for this open door. May there be great grace. Grace, strength, in Jesus' name.
0: Amen. Yeah. Amen. Awesome. So I'm going to close with this, all right? So I'm officially closing, all right? Um, what, what does the next 60 years look like? And here's, here's the key. The Lord gave me two questions. He's like, what happens when, when we say yes to God? Would you ask that question? Would you say, what happens when I say yes to God? Let's say it again. What happens when I say yes to God? And then the second question is, what happens when a group of people say yes to God? We ask that. What happens when a group of people say yes to God? And the answer is found like over 43 times in the Bible. He says, I will be your God and you will be my people. I will be your God and you will be my people. I will make a covenant with you. And that's what the Lord's saying to the house. There's a covenant with the house. And it's not around um, theology matters, church business matters, all that stuff matters. But that's not what the, the covenant that God's made with us is about. It's about making a dwelling place for his presence. In 2 Samuel 7, David is talking to the prophet, and he's in his own palace. David is in his palace, and he's looking around, and it's beautiful. His house is the way he wants it. It's gorgeous. It's decorated really well. And David begins to feel guilty. He's like, how is it that me, a king on the earth, live in such a beautiful palace when God has no place to dwell? He's like, I shouldn't have this beautiful house, and God has nowhere to go And he begins to long to build a house for God. So he didn't have to move from tent to tent, from place to place, but there could be a place where God inhabits. And David begins to desire and long for the building of a place where the presence of God would dwell. And the Bible says that Nathan said to David, Go ahead, David. I hear what's in your heart right now. Go for it. Do all that's in your heart. And then God told Nathan to tell David, thus says the Lord, this is 2 Samuel 7 verse 5, go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, will you build a house for me to dwell in? And that's the heart of of Fire Life and all the names we were before. Like I'm interested in all the stuff that comes with it. I I love the idea of miracles, signs and wonders. I love the idea of the nations coming. I love all of it. I love the idea of this room not, that this room becomes our youth group room. I love that idea. This would be a wonderful youth room. Like I was telling my dad before, this is a perfect youth room. It doesn't feel like a sanctuary, but it feels like a great youth room. I, I love that idea, but I love celebrating 60 years, but I, my heart is, one, is for one thing. I want to build a place for the Lord to dwell. I want my heart to be a place for him to dwell. I want my house to be a place where his presence rests. Amen? You see, throughout all of history, God's greatest desire is to find a place to live. That's why he built a garden. Whew a place for him to live with us. He's in heaven. He's on earth. He's in the garden. Then he's in the the tabernacle. He's in the temple. And then now he lives in the heart of believers. John 14 verse 23 says it like this. I'm going to read the Passion Translation. And Jesus says this to his disciples. He says, loving me empowers you to obey my word. Everyone say that with me. Loving God empowers me to obey his word. And then Jesus gives him this important thing. He goes, and my father will love you so deeply that we, who's he talking about? The father, the son, and the Holy Spirit, that we, the Trinity will come and make our dwelling in you. You, you come on, loving me empowers you to obey my word. And my father will love you back so deeply that we will come live inside of you. That's what the next 60 years looks like. That is what we're going to figure out. We're going to create a house that God dwells in for all nations. So that what I said earlier becomes the identity of the house. Hey, I don't know. I know they have a white preacher up there. He's a Texan through and through. Like coming to my backyard, I gotta come and take it flag on the treehouse, right? I'm a Texan, but I want when people encounter me for them to say, he's got the same dad I've got. We're brothers because I want him to dwell on us. And so all the other stuff is icing on the cake. The, the, the cake is that he's here. He dwells among us. And, I mean, and with, with, with this, he doesn't just want to dwell in a church building. He wants to live in every single one of us. He wants you to take him home with you. He wants when you wake up in the morning for you to sense his presence there. How many of you have ever been doing that? You wake up or you're driving in your car, you go somewhere, you're like, oh, you're here. How is a God who's omnipresent all of a sudden feel present? Like, right. How many believe that, that God is omnipresent? He's everywhere. So if I say, hey, God's here, the obvious response for all of us is, of course he's here, he's omnipresent. But there's something happens that's different whenever I acknowledge him being here and i respond to him now he's not just omnipresent his presence shows up <sighs> come on so he can be found anywhere but he wants to be found somewhere specific and that's what we're here to do that's why we exist it's about his presence and he doesn't he doesn't withhold from anyone like A lot of people disqualify themselves and say, I'm too bad. I'm not good enough. I don't know enough. Stop it. He loves you so much. It's, it's actually his love that causes you to be able to obey him. And he will love you so much that he will come make his home in you. That's what he wants. And when he shows up inside of your house, inside of your heart, nothing's impossible. Amen? So would you stand... So if I was going to say we have a mandate for the next 60 years, it's to do that, to host him well. (sighs) Y'all good? What did they say about the disciples? These guys are idiots. They're ignorant. That's why they said them. They're ignorant. They're not even schooled. They're unlearned people. They are dumb. They're just fishermen. But, but what? Someone knows. They have been with Jesus. Oh, it changes everything. So I felt like during worship, the Lord wanted to heal people. He wanted, we've been praying for two weeks. So, so Hank, Kyle, and I praying here most days of the week. We come together, we pray, and we, I've been feeling that the Lord wants to break addiction. He wants to break anything that causes us to not feel like we can respond to Him in the way He wants us to. So if you're, if you're struggling with addiction, he wants to set you free today. If you're sick, he wants to heal you today. I really believe that. And it's not just physical sickness. Someone here, maybe you have a broken heart. The Lord is near the broken hearted. He comes close to you. He wants to heal you today. Someone has felt like you're just a ship at sea. Just wherever the waves take you, that's where you go. And you've felt aimless. And the Lord wants to give you direction today. Some of you have struggled with generational issues that you want to be set free from that showed up in your parents or your grandparents or your aunts and uncles, and you're like, I don't want this anymore. And the Lord wants to say, you can say stop today to it. And the blood of Jesus will raise up a standard. Come on. So Father, we come to you right now and we love you. We do love you. Why don't you just tell him you love him? Come on. We do love you. And we feel so loved by you as well. <laughs> there's no one like you, God. Before we, before we end in prayer, would you just talk to him, worship him, tell him, there's no one like you, God. <laughs> there's none like you, God. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Jesus, your name is above every name. Yeah, yeah. Why don't you just ask him? The Bible says that every good and every perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of lights. So would you ask the Father, and ask if say, Father, do you have a gift for me today? Maybe it's healing. Maybe it's one of the things we listed. Would you just ask him, God, do you have a gift for me? If you heard him say yes, or if you saw him just smile, like some of you just saw him smile, Why don't you just put your hands out? It's like you're receiving a gift. And we're just going to receive it from him. It's the Father's good pleasure to give us his kingdom. Yeah. Why don't you just tell him, I receive this gift you have for me. Now you need to ask him, what is it? What is this gift? (laughs) (sighs) Hopefully he said something to you, heard him say something, or you knew inside your heart what it was. I say, God, I take this gift, come on, and I apply it to my life. Thank you, Father, for knowing what I need before I even ask. (laughs) Now, would you just do me a favor and just lay your hand on your neighbor's shoulder and would you pray for them? Something happens when we pray for each other it's It's just different Yes Lord your anointing is here. your presence is here. Do whatever you want to do. do whatever you want to do. This is your house. Boba Shamburriya kitted it at a level of a bosuriya tedda 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 bosha We thank you, God. We thank you, God. Ooh. Yeah, and I just thank him. We thank you, God, for what you're doing. We bless your name. Ooh. We're thankful, people. We're thankful for your faithfulness. We're thankful for your goodness, God. Ooh. You know, if, you're, if you're still carrying a weight, if you're still carrying a burden, or if you feel like it has not lifted, we have an altar team that's going to meet here at the front. But before they do, I'd like for you to bow your heads and close your eyes. This is a really important business. If you're here and you would say, I'm not really close to the Lord and I need to make things right with him. If that's you, just lift your hand up and you can put it right back down right where you are. I'm just, I'm far from him. Yeah, thank you. Come on. You're just now reaching out to him. He's come close to you. I ask that he would flood you with his love right now. Anyone else? Now, all we're going to do is we're just going to commit ourselves unto the Lord. We're going to ask him to be our God, to be our Lord. So would all of you pray this with me? Like I don't feel like this is ever um, old an old thing. This is something we should continually do, but we're going to ask Jesus to be our Lord. It means something different the longer I walk it with him. So it's a relevant prayer. So would all of you pray this prayer with me? Father God, I thank you for your plan of salvation. And I thank you for sending Jesus to pay the price for my sin and for my atonement. And Jesus, I thank you for being a worthy sacrifice for being spotless and for taking away my shame and my guilt. And I ask you, Jesus, Son of God, will you be the Lord of my life? I give you control. I will walk with you all the days of my life. And I will learn your ways and go on adventures with you. Come on. (laughs)